Welcome to Disrupt Disruption, a series of intimate interviews with global thought leaders and practitioners operating at the intersection of business, leadership and technology. We're discussing all things innovation and disruption and how to not only survive but thrive in these times of exponentially accelerating change. Trusted by CEOs, founders and leaders globally for the latest take on business models, methods, culture and leadership, we cut to the chase, debunk the hype and get real. You're in great company. I'm your host, Pascal Finette, co-founder of Be Radical. Hey everybody, Pascal here. We are back with another episode of Disrupt Disruption. And today I have a dear friend with me. I'm really excited about this conversation. Casey Johnson joins us as the current Vice President Strategy and Innovation at CPA.com, which is the online arm of the AICPA, which for those of you who don't know, is the organization which governs the accounting profession in the United States and through other venues internationally. Casey is recognized by Accounting Today as one of the top 100 most influential people in accounting, one of the top 25 thought leaders by CPA practice advisor, and is listed among the most powerful women in accounting. Before that, she was the EVP at Cloud9, which was one of the very early, very successful cloud providers, and also the founder of Blue Ocean Principles. Casey, I am stoked to have you with us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you, Pascal, and look forward to the discussion. Let me start with a slightly heretical uh, perspective. And you and I, of course, know the answer to that. But when people hear the term accounting, they might not think about accounting as a profession being the most innovative or forward-looking um, entity. That being said, we both know that's actually 100% not true. And just curious, when someone says or rolls their eyes a little bit when they hear the word accounting, how do you How do you counter that? You know, there are a ton of stigmas that, yes, the accounting profession is maybe a little bit of a laggard when it comes to innovation or technology. But I, I think we've come a long way in the past, especially three to five years in redefining what it means to be a CPA. A lot, a lot of people might be surprised that I know CPAs all over the, the country, across the globe, that don't have anything to do with taxes. They have nothing to do with a tax return or even if they do taxes that are really embracing technology. So I think that when you look at professions across the board, they're historically maybe a little bit slower and not as disruptive as other industries. But I think we can talk today about some examples of how accounting has really been leaning in more. They're forced to really because they deal so much with their clients' business systems and have really been on the cutting edge in the past, you know, five, 10 years of cloud adoption to blockchain, to artificial intelligence. And it's changing what their future practitioner skill sets look like, as well as the service delivery for their clients. Let's dig into this. I'm so excited. There's so much we can and have to unpack here. I'm curious to talk maybe a little bit, if you uh, uh, wouldn't mind, blockchain. So blockchain is this topic where I believe the accounting use case is one of the more prominent and prominently known use cases. So this whole idea that I put my transaction on the blockchain and that in many ways already looks a lot like a, you know, it's a two-sided ledger, very much accounting-based. I'd be curious to understand, and I know that you have been a leader in this space for the profession. I'd be curious to hear from you, 
because it has become a little quiet around the blockchain as of late, clearly drowned by the noise of AI. And we need to talk about AI as well. But where do you think blockchain is at the moment? Well, we're in that crypto winter, right? But yeah, so we look for the blockchain category. We started really leaning into it and, and saying, okay, what does this mean? What will be the opportunities for practitioners? What will be, and finance professionals, what will be the challenges, the demands from the clients? What does this mean in these new markets? So five, six years ago, we held our first blockchain symposium where we convened like 65 of the top subject matter experts on it and from all different walks of life, not just in accounting firms. And we've been doing this every year. I'm actually planning the event for next month. And it helped us to not only define some of those use cases you were referring to that are specific in accounting and finance, but to be able to track the evolution, the adoption. And I think as far as where it sits today, you know, Accounting firms had to embrace it whether they wanted or not when it became a part of regulation. So once it went on the 1040 and every firm has to have that conversation when they're doing the preparation with their clients each year is, did you own, sell? You know, they have to go through the questionnaire of, of crypto activity. So like I was saying, sometimes we get forced into it, whether we want to, to lean into that category or not because of regulations. But the tax reporting is just a small portion of the use cases that accounting and finance professionals have really been active in blockchain. So you've got to think we, we've got some firms that are leaning in and doing auditing of blockchain platforms. We've got others that they've got supply chain concerns. So they need to advise their clients on Let's say Walmart is your distributor for them and you're required to provide your uh, supplies to them on a blockchain. So a lot of those distributors freaked out and reached out to their accounting professional. Where do I even start with this? So there's a lot of different use cases and ways because businesses go to their accountants as their, their trusted advisor that just because the markets are down or because there's a lot of upheaval in the crypto space because of some of the, you know, FTX and other fraudulent issues that have been going on. It's still a very active space because blockchain crypto is just the tip of the iceberg when you're looking at blockchain. So for us, there's still a lot of activity. So where do you think the future of it lies for particularly looking at it from, from a profession's perspective? Is it predominantly in, in the accounting, like tracking uh, think, bookings on the blockchain? I think some to some with the payments, we've seen more and more of the business clients wanting to accept multiple, especially let's say they have an e-commerce site and they want to embed a widget to be able to accept crypto. The accountant can offer a lot of value on not just the reporting, but also valuation I mean, when you're accepting payment versus when you sell it, I mean, it it, it fluxes. So do I think that currently there's a ton of excitement and people really trying to lean into it and learn more? No, I think it's a little bit more at this phase, unless you're a specialist that said, hey, this is really interesting to me. I want to build out a niche in my practice for this. I think it's more responsiveness to a client need. They want to do something and you want to be able to support them or advise them on it. Or 
like I, we mentioned, those regulatory requirements. There's been a lot of activity there for the past three years. So, so clearly the excitement and the hype is on AI. 100%, yes. <laughs> and the false narrative, I believe very much false narrative, and we recently wrote about this in, in one of our briefings, false narrative around particularly accounting is that AI will just replace every single accounting job, uh, particularly entry-level accounting. I'd be just very curious to hear your perspective on AI. Where do you get excited? Where are you probably concerned about it? And where do you see the future of it is? Well, we have done a lot and you've been a part of this. So, you know, for the past six, seven months, we've been doing a lot of research on this and really looking at those practical applications of AI and once ChatGPT just kind of exploded all over the news, how that was going to impact the firms and, and finance professionals. There's a few things that I'm excited about, and I agree with you about the misconceptions about machines are going to take over and the robots are going to replace us. First, let's let's recognize another giant elephant in the room, right? In the accounting profession, we have a staffing crisis. We have a talent shortage. There are not enough people to do all of the demand and the work. So it's a good thing if we can automate some of those less desirable tasks that machines can take over. That's not, I don't know a whole lot of CPAs that just want to sit there and do data entry or, you know, tasks that they feel a machine could totally automate. So it gives them the capacity to focus on higher value advisory work that they're actually going to enjoy. So that excites me because maybe it can solve another big problem within our profession. I Right now, I am totally geeking out on the generative AI space and looking at those use cases, as well as the challenges and where the limitations currently stand. But what gets me excited is when we get hit in the profession, I mean, in general, with new legislation, let's say, like perfect example, look back to when PPP came out. And these are these are documents that are hundreds and hundreds of pages long. So for even us, like, you know, some of my colleagues at the AICPA that had to digest all of that and understand it and then give guidance to members about this is what it means. This is how it's going to impact your firm. This is what you need to do to prepare, helping them to understand it, getting through all of those documents. Some of my colleagues spent, they were up all night trying to digest it and read it. So the way that these tools can help with that, just the legislative research assistant use case it is very exciting to me. I'm curious I know that you're extremely passionate, not only about the technology itself, but rather the question of how do you actually embed these technologies in the firm, in a firm, and particularly the idea around not just how do you do this technically, but how do you do it from a human perspective, leadership, organizational structure, etc. And I also believe that because you have the privilege of working with very large firms, hundreds and thousands of people versus also, you know, smaller practitioners, like 10 people companies, 10 people firms. What are your experiences in terms of like, what are the best practices? What are the things you see these organizations stumble over? How do you advise them to, to approach these topics? Well, I, I talk to so many firms as well as businesses that really want to embrace and be more innovative and disruptive. They don't want to be disrupted 
they want to be leading uh-huh. edge, right? And I see a few hiccups, and I think this goes across any industry. I really don't think that it's specific to our profession. That's that the corporate strategy is not highly aligned to the innovation strategy. And what I mean by that is that then you end up having this execution gap and we may look at it as though it's a destination rather than a journey where we think we got a little checkbox and okay, we wanna be innovative for 2023. We implemented this technology, check the box and move on. And you and I both know in today's environment and exponential change, you taught us all about that. You can never let off the lever. This is going to be going on forever. So people need to stop looking at this as, okay, I did this now, check the box, I'm innovative. And they need to, I think, support and nurture more spirit within their employees as well as the culture. Those are the two things that I see holding, you know, businesses of all different types, but firms as well, back from truly getting to where they want to be. And in your profession, I find as a somewhat outsider who now knows much more about the profession than I ever did before, but I find it interesting that you also have this very weird, strong seasonality in the business, very similar to in retail, you have the holiday season, right, which kills you. And in the tax profession, you've got tax season. And I know this from, you know, even my tax professionals we work with, after tax season, they're completely burned out. And basically, they need like three months of recovery. I wonder how, in this weird world of like innovation and disruption, how do you deal with that seasonality as well? Like, how do you layer this into the seasonality from a leadership's perspective? It must be incredibly hard. It's funny when you say that. I think about, you know, when I was running Blue Ocean Principles and I was consulting with the tech companies that sell to the accounting professionals, they always struggle to grasp the seasonality and, and being sensitive to those times. And maybe they would understand, but they would say, okay, April 16th opens up. Now the floodgates open and they just send in all these emails. And it's like, they're exhausted. They're not, the the firm's closed. They're not reading your emails on April 16th. But as far as for the practitioners and the running of the firms, you know, you're right. Historically, it's been a very seasonal taxing time for them, not just in spring when they're doing for March 15th and April 15th, the corporate and the personal deadlines, but also we're in another one, September and October with the extension deadlines. So those times are exhausting for them. But what we've seen and what we've been advocating for firms really for 10 years now is not to just focus on this compliance work and to offer advisory services. You've got thought leaders out there in the profession like Ron Baker, who have been pushing to go to subscription models in firms to where you're billing them every single month and you're offering higher value and the advisory work that never ends. And we saw first firms take over like all of the outsourced, you know, bookkeeping work. And so then they got out of some of that seasonality because they were working on all of their files and doing payroll and everything on a daily. But now we're seeing it shift even more away from that seasonality because 
that advisory work never ends. I mean, you're with them, not just monthly and quarterly end of year and then planning for the next, but hopefully on a daily basis. And and that's where AI supports too, on not just the predictive analytics side in the, the software that these accounting firms are using, but the prescriptive. So not just what could or is going to happen in your business, but what you need to do about it. I find this interesting. It's like this shift away from one moment in time engagement, typically during tax season, towards a much more like a trusted relationship with your financial advisor, with your tax advisor uh, on an ongoing basis. And I absolutely agree that I believe there's a real value in in augmenting this with AI. I wonder if you're looking at the, the lower end of the market, so the average person doing that tax return, which is interesting to me because, you know, that really feels like you either struggle through yourself, which as a German who now lives in the US, I can tell you like US tax code is even worse than German tax code. And I thought that wasn't actually even like that was an impossibility. So that's really hard. Or you use something like TurboTax and kind of semi struggle through that. Or you use a a service like HR Block where you show up and have a, a fairly cheap service, but like someone humanly doing it. Do you anticipate this being t this market being completely eaten up by AI? Because in theory, at least, AI should be so good at doing the, the these like relatively simple personal tax returns, and then basically eating up the HR block business. You know, it's interesting, and I know that the uh, GPT four release ran like a simulation of doing a tax return. I think that the AI will support some of it and you know the the what you described as on the lower market those individual tax returns that can be do it yourself can be by the storefront H&R blocks or Liberty Tax those types of solutions I think that that is a perfect opportunity for AI to disrupt it's the more complex returns it's the business returns it's the personal returns of the firm's business client like those owners that I, I don't see, I see AI maybe assisting and those firms that lean into the tech solutions that have AI embedded in it will just become that much more sophisticated. The tax prep, the binders, all of that will, will just happen so much faster and speed it up. But I think that that's one of what you touched on right there is one of our cruxes, honestly, because our mindset is They've got so much business. They're making so much money. Mm -hmm. All of the compliance work and keeping up with those tax codes, there's so much and people come to them for advice that it's hard for them to grasp, I need to change. I need to be innovative. Yeah. I need to implement new things. I need to have new service lines. I need to be more advisory. So it's like, you know, one of those, what will push us to force us to change? Because right now, There is no, there's no lack of work. They're all struggling to keep up. I mean, I don't know the exact stats. I'd have to look at the IRS website. But from what I hear from a lot of firms, it's it's standard practice to just file for extension because we can't complete all the work in the normal tax season. Wow. Uh, that brings up, I, I want to I double click on that because I think that's a really interesting point. So, I believe this is true not just for the profession of tax professionals. I think it's true for a lot of professions where when business goes well, and for a lot of professions, like business is actually not that bad, 
there is a tendency to not invest and look at these new things because we're so busy. We're always, you know, like we're in the here and now. From the profession, actually, the founder of Intuit, Scott Cook, once said that uh, success is a powerful thing uh, because it makes companies uh, more stupid and they become less and less innovative, which I think is a really great quote. And Scott clearly is a very smart person. But I'd be curious to hear uh, how do you get people out of that other than just shaking them and telling them, you need to look at the future? So you're right. They're not motivated to do anything different because they're succeeding and and making a lot of money and being just fine in terms of growth without it. I think we can look to the past of what could come in the future. So perfect example was we, we've been advocating to adopt cloud technology. We've been saying this is the future. Do this, support remote work, support remote clients. You can support anybody. Do you not bound to geographic boundaries? And offer advisory services. Don't just be in compliance. We've been saying this for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And when COVID hit, you couldn't go into an office. You were getting calls from your clients asking for advisory because they didn't know what to do. They were scared they were going to lose their business and they couldn't access any of their files because they weren't in the cloud. So if you wait, just because you aren't being forced to move into something, So with those three instances, now majority of firms are pretty set up to work remote, are already in the cloud, and to offer some type of advisory service, which they were not pre-2020. And I think if you look to that historical example, which was not that far away, and apply it to the future of, okay, what are we looking at with AI? Sure, you're hearing a lot about it in the news and the hype is there. But if you're not investing in it in some way or trying to be innovative in looking at other ways to be innovative, what's going to happen if another event forces it and you have to be reactive versus a very quick, agile pivot? One of my friends, Doug Sleater, he used to say, and this was years ago, I'm talking, I was at his Sleater con like 15 years ago, and he would say, agility trumps ability. And- Uh In the past three years, four years, it's never rang more true in my ears. That is a very great quote. So curious to hear from your perspective, if you're thinking about the role of a leader, so now we're talking about large organizations which actually have you know, a dedicated leadership team, and you made an earlier comment which I really enjoyed and I want to just underline, which is this idea where you said there's a, there's a disconnect between the, the strategic imperative of an organization and the operative imperative, like what they're actually doing. So if you were to advise a leader in an organization, how do you bridge that imperative? Like, how do you bring those two things together? How do you make sure that the organization is set up for the future? How does it better anticipate the future from your perspective? So I don't think that it's just lip service. I do think Mm. that leaders want their organizations to be innovative, but we get so bogged down in the day-to-day and the putting out the fires and just doing our job. So I think that I would encourage leaders to do a few things. One, look at creating that innovation culture as not just an event, but as a process. That's the only way you're going to sustain that long-term innovation rather than that checkbox of, okay, we got that done, like, you know, moving on. 3M back in like the 40s, they were a perfect example of a company that did this. They said, okay, 
we're eliminating, it was like 15 or 20% of all meetings to give people the space to just have personal innovation time. I would love if every organization would do that. That would be a great first step to empower your people. Second is they need to lead by design and shout it from the rooftops when them and other leaders in the organization are doing these things, not to brag, but to show, look, we really do support this. We mean what we say and we're walking the talk, right? I think they could host specific events to encourage it and remind and get people excited like a hackathon or do like an experiential retreat. But I think bigger picture to create that entrepreneurial spirit within your organization, you've got to show support by mobilizing resources. You've got to give them the time, their personal time to be innovative because none of us, when you're on call seven, eight hours a day of Zoom, have time to, to dedicate to that. You've got to make sure that it is central in the organization's mission and vision and that it can be seen throughout. Remove some of that bureaucracy and the frictions that show, slow us all down. You know, that to me is, is probably one of the biggest barriers that I see in organizations. And then increasing autonomy. If people feel more independent and empowered and that they can move forward with things, they're going to be a lot more excited about it. And maybe I've seen some give different compensation initiatives attached to if the their idea is executed. So then, you know, it never hurts to put a little monetary on there. If I flip this around, and you already touched upon this, if you're looking at the the barriers, the the common pitfalls, you mentioned, you know, bureaucracy being one. I'm curious, are there any other common barriers you see like over and over again where you say like, oh, please don't do this again, please. I've seen it so many times. So unfortunately, I see a lot of times in organizations where some folks that maybe have been around for a really long time, they are not real receptive to change. They can be a blocker. I think that getting the new employees to really embrace and shine with innovation because they come in with a bird's eye view that a lot of times you just lose in being in an organization for a long time. And so capturing that when they are new, it, it can be infectious with the rest of the team, which is a good thing and get people excited about it. But I think resistance to change and there's some fear. People fear change a lot of times is going to impact their role. Flipping all of this on its head, uh, getting out of the fear mode, <laughs> talking about the exciting things. What are you excited about for the future uh, in terms of, you know, like the profession, the technology, all this change? Because I know for a fact you're a very positive, forward, optimistic looking, uh, like uh, future forward looking person. I, I'm really curious, like what gets you what gets you up and motivated at the moment? You know, it's funny. It's more when I am out and about and I see new innovations and companies doing things to make things, whether it be more convenient, even if I'm on the consumer end of things and seeing brands implement and change in ways that somebody had never thought of and making things so that people just at the touch of a button can have capabilities that we never even thought possible. And 
I think that a lot of that is going to be powered by some of, you know, AI's capabilities. But I also think it's you talk a lot about, you know, core versus edge. And I think it's and that even goes back to our previous conversation about getting people out of that seasonality of the tax. Right. And starting to look out. And it's always putting on a different lens and looking at things from that client or customer perspective. And so when I'm out in the world, the things that get me excited is like, wow, that was brilliant. That completely changed my experience. It's all about the experience, right? It's not really about like the dollars and cents all the time. It's what brings you back. I don't go to some some of the, the brands that I'm most loyal to it, they're not the cheapest, but it's it's my experience. So how technology can empower businesses or firms, whatever you're talking about, to deliver convenience, deliver exceptional experiences that we never thought possible. I, I saw a solution recently. I talked with the CEO and got a demo. It was called Digits. And it is in a, it's an accounting and finance solution. And when you embed it over, let's say, a general ledger, and you can literally ask it anything. I mean, what was my churn of California businesses from this date to this date? And then it just pops out the answer for you. And then, okay, well, how many of those were between one and five million dollars? Pops it out for you. Okay, give me a data, give me an Excel spreadsheet of who those clients are so that then now we can start a retargeting campaign to them. That's the kind of stuff that excites Uh, me. I love that you bring together your consumer perspective on experiences and the world of accounting, for example, right? Because I I fundamentally believe that, that the real magic is when we can create business solutions which feel like consumer solutions. Very similar to what you just described with this ability to to use a, a tool like digits to ask very normal, like very human-like questions of my data and get actually really interesting insights back versus a Tableau, you know, a clicking around, nothing against Tableau, but <laughs> it's just like a little bit more complicated to use. Do you think that's a, that, do you anticipate this to be a general trend or do you think it's still going to be more the exception than the norm? I hope it picks up in the reason, you know, us as humans are being just kind of trained in our phone and all of our apps on this convenience level and things at a touch of a button. And, you know, whether you're doing Instacart or you're doing, you know, any kind of app on there that makes your life more convenient, that then becomes the expectation and it transfers into business. And what we desire and to have those conveniences in our business applications are really seated and rooted in what we're being trained in our personal as a consumer, that experience with all of those things. So I think we've always got to look outside of our specific industry and say, well, what do I really enjoy and get pleasure of? I get asked all the time. I just had Accounting Today reach out last week and say, hey, what are your favorite apps right now? And it could be business, it could be personal, whatever it is. And the one theme that I see in all of them is extraordinary experiences. So why would you not try to create that in a business solution that I I pray that trend picks up because we're being trained as consumers to like it and we want to make lives at work enjoyable, right? (laughs) Let me end on a question here because I find this topic really interesting. How do you... 
And you have a lot of experience doing this in one of the earlier waves of, you know, whatever transformation, however you want to call it, when it, we went to the cloud. So we went from on-premise, you know, install software on literally floppy disks or CD-ROMs to now it's in, in cloud environment. All I need is a web browser, which I think is much easier to do if you're an, a newcomer, if you're an upstart, you're like a new company, you build stuff from scratch. How do you see this playing out for people who are established incumbent organizations? What is, out of your perspective, like what's the best practice? Because you must see this in the accounting, in the profession, in the tool provider profession there. As in, I've been doing this this thing for 20 years and the interface looks like Tableau. And now suddenly I'm I'm asked to create an interface which looks like the interface you described for digits. How do you go about that? I mean, not technically, but like how do you mentally, like strategically go about that? I think making the commitment, prioritizing, giving yourself the time to invest in it, but also I don't think you got to go it alone. I think partner with not only good tools and solutions that ha are dedicated to making that transition a success, but there's a ton of great, you know, consultants that can help with a lot of those implementations and guide you. And I, I think that it's okay to recognize these are our strengths, these are our weaknesses, this is what we have capacity to complete. You know what, let me hire someone to help with this, whether it be, but it kind of depends on the size of the firm we're talking about too. Like some businesses or firms may be larger and can build an internal team to um, manage others. They're going to have to outsource that same way that the firms would have their business clients outsource their accounting or their payroll or may look to them to help them build a new blockchain solution or whatever it may be. You got to be able to do the same with technology consultants. If you don't have capacity, don't just keep putting it off thinking someday you're going to have it. You're probably just going to continue to be busy, busier than ever, and it gets pushed further down the line. So prioritization, creating that capacity, or hiring somebody else to do it and, and finding good partners. On the good partner comment, Casey, phenomenal conversation. I love the points you brought up. One thing which, which is still resonating in my head is agility trumps ability. It sounds so pithy and like, but it's so true. So love that, love that perspective. Love the interesting perspective you brought from a profession and like really like also leveling this into different industries and different professions. Thank you so, so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Very, very insightful. Casey, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Pascal. Thanks for tuning in on this episode of Disrupt Disruption. If you want more, check out the other episodes we have on this podcast. And if you liked it, do us a favor. Go on your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is, and leave a quick review. It helps tremendously with getting the insights from our guests out into the world. If you have any questions, send me an email. You can reach me at pascal at finet.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will hear you here soon.